Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast, where we are talking about what it means to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture. Uh, my name is Andre, and I'm back again with more content to provoke uh, our thinking and reflection and discipleship this week. Uh, the episode this week is a little different. I'm actually sharing with you guys a recording of a talk that I did at a True North Worship Night a couple weeks ago. True North Worship Nights is an event that we host here in Bellingham, Washington. It's for young adults from a variety of churches here in town. And uh, it's just a time of encouragement, worship, uh, community building. Uh, and the topic that I tackle here has been a practical one and seems to have been really helpful for a lot of us here as we're reflecting on what does it mean to grow in faith in seasons of doubt. So as you listen, if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, uh, give us some feedback. Uh, get in contact with us. I always love hearing from you guys on Instagram or through Facebook. And uh, with that, uh, enjoy the show. Well, I want to share some thoughts today that will hopefully be encouraging and helpful to you guys. Um, this is stuff that's just the overflow of stuff that I've been studying, uh, stuff that we've been talking about in, the, in our church at Living Word. We're preaching through Mark, and it's been such a fascinating ride to get to know Jesus in person, like the man he was, how he walked, how he ministered, how he interacted with people. Um, and so one of the things that we, uh, we've, been, we've been seeing in Mark as we as a church family have been studying is the disciples and all the people around Jesus are very imperfect people. And not only imperfect, uh, their process of faith is very imperfect. So I, um, I, I, want, I titled this short little message, uh, Faith in the Face of Doubt. And the question that I'm trying to hit at here is how do we as Christians respond when, uh, when we go through seasons of doubt in our faith. So, in order to get us started, I wanted to run a little story by you guys. Um, and it's a scenario that, this is not a true story, but it is true in the sense that this story kind of plays out hundreds, thousands of times in churches all over the U.S. Um, constantly, and maybe you've interacted with a story similar in your life. So, I want to tell you a story about a guy named Jim. I tried to pick a name that I that nobody there's no Jims in the room, right? I'm not messing. I'm not trying to diss on the name Jim, but it was actually really hard to think of a name that wouldn't be in the room. So, Jim is a uh, say excessively over average Christian, no, excessively over average hipster skeptic used to be a Christian. That picture profile maybe you've come across with as you're going to school, as you're in college, as you're working. So let's see if my, my clicker works today. Meet Jim. No? Meet Jim, take two. So the cool way to take a picture these days is from the back. Obviously, that's what hipsters do. He's got the leather yellow backpack and the fedora hat and the scarf going. There's Jim taking a picture putting on the gram. Jim is skeptical and confident at the same time. There he is. We can sit down and talk to him. Um, so, all jokes aside though, the story of Jim kind of goes like this. Raised in a religious setting, um, heard the Bible all his life, went to church, read his Bible, went to Sunday school, heard all the Bible stories. Um, kind of grew up in a church context where very traditional, 
not a lot of uh, very intellectual people, ordinary American folks, ordinary folks of whatever language your, your background from, um, not deep questions, more traditions, more this is how we always believed it kind of thing, right? Uh, he, was, he, was, he grew up reading his Bible, but he was, you know, in the youth group, he was never one of the spiritual kids. Um, and Jim kind of shrugged that off as, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those kids who are really excited about Jesus reading their Bible, thing like that. Jim's always puzzled when he saw Christians in the church who were like genuinely nice, good people, but also Christians who were like hypocrites and prideful pricks and terrible people. And both of them seemed to call themselves Christians. And this was always confusing to Jim, right? As he goes to college, Jim discovers in his religion class that there's a lot of different evidence uh, against Christianity and that actually, if you read the Bible from a specific kind of perspective, from a scientific perspective, um, the Bible's been changed so many times by so many different kinds of people. Not only that, the Bible has so many different interpretations that nobody really knows what it means, and nobody can really agree on what the, Bible, uh, what, what the central message of the Bible is. Really smart people with PhDs, and they all disagree. Jim also meets some friends in college, or at work, where he works at Starbucks. Um, he meets some friends who are really good people, like really kind, really serving in their community, um, and they totally don't believe Christianity. They believe everything opposite to Christianity. And Jim is working with these people. He's going to class with these people, and he's like, these are really good people. They're way better than a lot of the people that I grew up with at church. Jim takes more classes and, dis and, and discovers that science has disproven a lot of things that religion used to teach in the past. And science gives us all the answers that religion used to pretend to give. So as Jim is making his journey through his 20s, his faith starts to crackle and fall apart and starts to wither away. And, and he, he, he sees that, you know, believing in one old book is so narrow compared to all the science and all the knowledge that we have today. Plus, when you look around, you see all these really good people doing really good things, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, and none of them believe in Jesus. Actually, all of them believe that Christianity is wrong. So, so as Jim is making this life journey, his, his relationship to his Christianity undergoes a fundamental change, right? He goes from Christian to kind of grew up Christian to I'm not sure, I'm skeptic, and then to I'm not a Christian anymore. So maybe you have interacted with a story like Jim's. Maybe some of you are on a story like Jim. If you meet him today, he does not go to church. Uh, he is very happy. He has a lot of really great community. And there's nothing in his life that his church used to provide that his new non-Christian community doesn't fulfill. And he realizes Christianity is useless to him. So these kinds of stories uh, surround us all the time if we live in the world. If you live in anywhere but a Christian homeschool bubble, which if you do, eventually that bubble's gonna burst and you're gonna meet people like Jim. How do we process stories like this? Oftentimes, most of the time, a story like this is framed as a quest for truth. 
I used to be so foolish, and um, I used to be so narrow, and then I got to know more true things and read more big books and discovered that all these things that I used to believe are just um, myths and legends and things that people used to believe in the past, but today we don't need them. These kinds of stories, especially to us Christians, especially like in my life, I've had multiple interactions, relationships with people who have gone through a similar journey. If you've been there, you know it's really disconcerting. It's really uncomfortable to see somebody who used to go to church with you, who used to worship and sing and read the Bible, become completely anti-Christian and non-Christian. And it makes you wonder about your own Christianity. What, what, kind of, uh, what about me? Uh, where am I at? How do I process my doubts? What is my, how do I know if my faith is a real thing? Or if my faith is just this kind of imaginary thing that never been tested and when I go out in the world, my faith is also going to fall apart. That's kind of what I want to think about in the next couple of minutes here. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this very, very popular phrase that we've heard many times, right? Faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Notice that. Notice that phrase. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So very often when you talk to people like Jim, they'll, they'll tell you that faith is this uh, just blind faith, like just believe. Oh, the evidence says this, just believe, just believe, right? So it's a blind thing. It's a check your brain at the door thing. But when you read the Bible and you read many different examples in the Bible, you realize that faith the process, the journey of faith is not a mindless thing. Faith is a conviction, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So a biblical picture of faith is, is a picture that includes thinking, evidence, asking hard questions, connecting dots, rooting yourself down, making arguments. The biblical picture of faith is not a picture of faith that says, you know, I don't know what the science teachers teach and the philosophy teachers, but I'm just going to believe in Jesus. That's not a biblical picture of faith. Spurgeon breaks it down like this for us, and this has been a really helpful thing for me in the last few weeks as I've been studying the subject. He says, faith is three things, and it's three things layered on top of each other, Three things interconnected, three things that cannot be separated. Faith is knowledge, first of all. You cannot believe in Jesus, the gospel, in Christianity. You cannot believe if you don't know, first of all, what is Christianity? What is the message of the Bible? What, who was Jesus? When did he come? And what was his message? What did he actually accomplish? These are very basic questions, right? But... If you don't know the answers to the what of Christianity, of the Bible, of the gospel, if you don't know the what's, there's no way that you're going to be able to believe because you believe in something, right? But faith is not just knowledge, it's belief. Belief asks the question, is this really true? Did this really happen? When we are, you know, when, we, when you look at the news or you, you read, you know, watch TV shows or read books, you, you realize that the popular perspective on Christianity, when you look at the Bible and look at, look at the, particularly like the miracles in the Bible, and it, there's this scoffing, laughing attitude like, come on, like that stuff didn't really happen. 
And as Christians, we kind of, we, we maybe uncomfortably shy around that or away from those tensions. But, but if you want to have real faith, you have to ask the heart, you have to look at it and say, dang, do I really believe this stuff? Do I really believe that Jesus walked on water? That's crazy. People don't walk on water today. Do I really believe this stuff? Do I really believe that Jesus actually was born 2,000 years ago, lived a life, died, and rose again on the third day? Do I really believe that that actually happened in history? If you don't, if you don't work with those questions, you're never going to have to be able to have a real faith. So it's knowledge, it's belief, but it's also trust. Trust, trust as in, okay, this information about Jesus coming and dying for my sins and Jesus being Lord over all the universe today is do I trust this Jesus? Have I placed my assurance, my, my peace, my confidence in that story as the source of my life direction? Or do I still keep it at arm's length away? Yes, I believe Jesus happened, but no, I don't submit myself to him as trusting him. So notice, a lot of times us, a lot of you guys maybe are like born in the church kind of Christians, we, we confuse stage two for full faith. We think, well, I believe in Jesus if I admit that I think Jesus really happened. It's not quite biblical faith yet. Biblical faith, like if we go back to that verse, assurance, trust. It's You're saying this story is my story. I put my trust in this story as the source foundation of my life. So faith is three things. You have to keep that intention. If you look at a closer, in a closer way at the story of Jim, based on this, you realize that Jim was probably never actually a Christian. Jim went through the motions of the Sunday school life, saw contradictions in his Christianity, had puzzles, never really resolved anything, never really questioned anything. And so when he entered his world of new people, new friends, new ideas, it just cracked open the, the empty shell that was already there. One of the defining characteristics of real Christianity and real faith in the whole Bible, and I, I, to me this has been really helpful to discover as I read the Bible. The story of faith in the Bible is the story of people struggling with their doubts about God. It, it's people working through knowledge, belief, and trust, knowledge, belief, and trust, knowledge, belief, and trust, working through all of their doubts about all the crazy, amazing things we hear in the Bible. The story of faith in the Bible is not the story of perfectly believing, confident human beings who never doubted God and who did amazing things because of that. Doubt and struggles in our faith is not a sign that something is wrong with your faith. Struggling with doubt about your faith and your convictions in the Bible, struggling through that doubt is a sign of living faith. That's what we want to see today. That's what we want to kind of understand. Faith Real faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That means that it, faith is always building assurance, building conviction. That means that real faith is always asking hard questions, digging down into, what do I really believe? Who am I really? What am I really seeking? What is my relationship to Christianity? What is my relationship to the gospel? It's amazing to see, like I was studying the story of Abraham this past week. And you know, like Abraham is like the patriarch of the faith, right? Everybody's like Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God and it counted to him as righteousness. And we're like, dang, like he had faith. But if you read the story of Abraham, 
The story of Abraham is the story of doubt. It's like God appears to Abraham and says, follow me. I'm going to give you a lot of things. I'm going I'm to multiply your, your family, and I'm going I'm to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. I'm going to cause a new life, a new creation happen through you, Abraham. Okay, God. Follows God, and then he's like, you said I was going to have a son. You said I was going to have a big family. I got no son. Struggling, struggling, struggling. 10, 15 years go by. Again, Abraham's struggling. He doubts God, so then he takes matters into his own hands. He has a son through a different woman. He lies to Egyptian kings about his wife because he doesn't trust God will protect him. If you, if you read the story of any of the heroes of faith, you see that it is people dealing with God's promises, God's word, and the tension of their situations, their struggling hearts, and doubting, and wondering, and failing, and coming back to God, and asking questions, and seeking deeper knowledge. That is how faith grows. The true, if you see the love of David, right? You read the Psalms, and David is just a lover of God and his glory. But what is that love born out of? is born out of situations where he completely fails and sins and gets a guy murdered and steals his wife and then comes broken, repenting, asking God, please help me restore my faith, restore my knowledge, restore my perspective. That love and unity with God and worship for God is born out of a struggle through unbelief and doubt and wondering. That phrase that repeated in, in Isaiah, where God is talking to people who are doubting him, worshiping idols, God says, come, let us reason together. Ask your questions. Ask your questions of God. Bring your doubts. God, God encourages that in all of the Bible. God encourages us to bring our doubts and our weaknesses to him. The story of, of a guy like Jim and many deconversion stories like it are not really deconversion stories because they are the story of people who never truly understood the gospel that they are rejecting. Most people who walk away from Jesus, most people who say, oh, yeah, I, did, I did the whole Christianity thing and um, walked away, didn't work for me. Most people who say that are people who never actually understood the gospel in the first place. People who went with the flow of their doubts and just totally gave in and didn't struggle. He never understood the faith that he's rejecting. So, so why does then a person like Jim walk away from the faith? Like I said, most of the time these stories are, 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 are presented as a journey from uh, ignorance to truth, a journey from darkness into light, right? A journey from regressive perspectives to progressive perspective, right? But when you look at the heart of a person who walks away from the faith, you, you realize that it has nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with desire. So we talk about that. Unbelief, people who are overcome with unbelief and walk away from Christ... Most often, if you listen carefully to their stories, why'd you walk away from Jesus? Why'd you walk away from Christianity? Why, why, don't, why, don't you, why, are, why do you have no interest in the Bible anymore? If you listen carefully, most of the time, the story is not about asking deep questions and being dissatisfied. It's by 
shifting desire to a different thing to the point where they don't want Jesus to be real anymore. As uh, G.K. Chesterton says, the problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and left and, and, and found empty, but that it has been found difficult and left untried. Think about that one until your brain hurts. The problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and tested and found empty. The problem with Christianity is that it has been found difficult and complicated and therefore abandoned and left untried. Every one of us is on that journey at some point. So a person who walks away from Jesus, let's think about this. And again, some of you have, know these people in your head. Some of you, you'll meet them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess you up. But, but I want to I think about this. So people who walk away from Jesus, usually when you're actually talking to them, pleading like, hey, come back to the church. Hey, like, what's up? Why don't, you, why don't you believe anymore? Usually you realize, if you pause, you realize they don't want Jesus to be real anymore. The problem is not that they have all these, this mountain of evidence that Jesus is not true. The problem is a couple of potentials, right? Maybe this person has been discouraged by the behavior of bad Christians. So somebody who grows up in the church, witnesses hypocrites, angry, religious, Pharisee people, and is like, look at these, this is fake. This whole Christianity thing is fake. I'm out of here. And again, that's an emotional move. Or maybe this person has been discouraged with a, with a, with a shallow spiritual life. So you, you, um, I've had many conversations with people who say, you know, I read my Bible. I prayed and nothing happened. I asked God to reveal himself, and nothing happened. And it makes you at first, you're like, dang, like, shoot, like, how do I answer that? Again, that's an emotional move, though. That's, that's you just like, well, then whatever. I don't want God to be real. If, 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 if you didn't have some sort of emotional experience that you were looking for, that doesn't mean that Jesus then all of a sudden is, is not real, never happened, and that you're still not a sinner, and there's still a God who's going to judge you, and there's still hell and punishment for sin. It doesn't mean any of that thing, right? Or maybe this person has experienced a major, this is serious, like a trauma in their life, like something terrible happened, and they feel like God left them. This, that's, that's painful, it's serious, and they felt like God didn't come through in the way that they thought God would come through. And so they're like, God's not real, because he didn't answer my pray, prayer in the, in the way that I thought he was going to answer that's serious too. But again, that doesn't, prove, that doesn't mean that God's not real because God didn't answer the prayer in the way that you thought he was going to, because he didn't come through and save the person's life that you were praying for, or the, he didn't save your, your family, or he didn't recover your health, right? That doesn't mean God's not real. It just means that God's not who you thought he was. Or maybe you're just bored with the Bible, just bored with Christianity, grew up, heard it all, bored. I don't care about it. Notice the, the most common, most of the time, when a person is going through this, they don't, they don't realize it. They're not like, oh, I'm just being emotional and I'm emotionally walking away from Christianity. No, most of the time people don't realize it. They think, oh, I'm on an I'm I'm enlightenment journey away from my old religious ways into knowledge. But, but most of the time, it is, it is a process where somebody changes their emotional condition 
where they don't want Jesus to be real. And if you've had conversations with people like that, you, you remember that, and I mean, I've had these conversations where I'm like, okay, bro, like, why, why don't you believe? Let's talk about the evidence. Let, let's talk about what, what is the claims of the Bible? What is the history of the Bible? They don't want to have that conversation. They don't care about the evidence. They don't actually want Jesus to be real. So our emotions are very important in our faith, right? But our emotions are not, they're not a compass. If you're reading your Bible and praying every day and you feel like nothing is happening, that is definitely a signal that something is wrong in your spirituality, right? That, that's true. We're not denying that. But that does not mean that God, not, God doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that the Bible isn't true. Our emotions are good warning lights when something's wrong in our faith. But they're not good compasses. It does, it does not mean, which is what happens oftentimes, is then people feel like Christianity doesn't satisfy their hearts, so they, they go backwards and they, they go back through belief and they go back through knowledge and they redefine based on what feels right. So now I'm going to go do something that feels right and then I'm going to find all the evidence to make that, that true. But when you present to me Christian evidence of the truth of the Bible, I don't want to hear it because I don't really care about evidence. I care about what feels right. And that's a dangerous path to walk. Your, your feelings are not a compass. Your feelings are broken, right? In a sinful world, we know that if we are sinners, your emotions are infected with sin. So that means that your emotions, when your emotions are filled with God in his presence, you can, you're, you can erupt in joy and wonder, which is what we've been doing all evening. When God's presence fills your heart, your life, your knowledge, your mind, your emotions grow in worship to God, right? But if you are apart from God's presence, apart from God's truth, your emotions always tend to be deceptive and self-centered. And it's a very, very dangerous thing to just go follow your emotions in search of truth. Sin will twist how we see reality. That's what, that's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. Paul tells us that sinners are bent on seeing reality only in line to their desires. So even though we see the evidence of God, his glory in nature and around us, in us, we choose to look away and suppress the knowledge of God because we want to follow what feels right to us. That, that's sin twisting your lenses. That's sin darkening your perspective. That's what sin does to us, right? That's why real faith is a struggle because faith happens, real faith happens when the word of God <clears throat> is poured into your mind, into your heart. And the word of God starts to challenge all the sinful assumptions and perspectives that you hold. That's why we struggle. That's why we doubt. That's why we go, that's why we stray. That's why we, we stumble. We fail to trust God. We, we fail to have confidence in God. Not because he hasn't proved himself, because our emotional, sinful perspective always has a battle with God's truth. That's why real faith is a struggle with doubt. It's a continual fight. It's a continual process to grow. But also, we have to realize that these weak moments of our struggles and our doubts are the moments when our faith grows the highest. So there's a story we, we just studied in our church of Jesus rebuking the disciples in the boat. This is a crazy situation where Jesus is just like all out coming down on the disciples saying, 
Don't you see who I am? Don't you understand? Don't you, can't you connect the dots? Are you blind? He literally says that to them. That's the moment when the disciples snapped awake to realize that they need to see the real Savior. Our weakest moments of doubt and failure are the moments where the Savior can work to, to crack open our foolish self-dependence and make us more dependent on him, make us seek him, listen to him, get to know him, get to believe him more, and get to trust him more. And that's kind of what brings us full circle to the text that Pastor Andy read in the beginning. Christianity is meant to be tested and tried. Well, what happens when you do that? I want to challenge all you guys today to think about how am I challenging and testing my Christianity? What that means is you are engaging with the Bible and its message. When you engage with the Bible and its message, you, at the center of that message, come to meet a person. Not just a moral code, not just a philosophy, a person, Jesus. At the very heart of all of the Christian faith is Jesus. You've got to deal with Jesus. You have to get to know Jesus. You have to, get, you have to test him, ask who he is, ask Ask what kind of false assumptions you have about him and get to know the real Jesus, not the one that you think uh, you expect. It's a crazy story, if you, if you really think about it. It's a crazy story that God entered humanity, became a man, 100% man, 100% God. God walked the dusty desert of Palestine. God laid his hands on blind people. God sat in a boat with disciples and rode for hours and hours and hours. God made fish barbecue on the beach. God taught. God wept. And at the, at the center of it, Jesus says, I came here to die. I came here to pay for your sins. The disciples didn't get that either. Like, no, 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 you're not going to do it. Yes. At the center of that story is that God dies for our sins. That's insane. God comes to bleed. God created a world in which he would bleed for us. And that he rises from the dead and that Jesus today is Lord. Right now, he is Lord. And he's giving us all time to get to know him, to grow in him, to proclaim his kingdom. Because there's going to come a point where he is literally going to split the sky and come back down. That is a crazy message. You have to ask yourself if you really believe it. And when you do that asking, you will come to face with this Jesus who is undeniable. He's irresistible. He's not afraid of your questions. He is amazing. He calls us all into his presence. Hebrews 12 finishes with this. So idea in the beginning that Pastor Andy read that this Jesus is exalted, right? At the end of the book of Hebrews, this is what the author kind of drives it. Notice, please, the emphasis here. Uh, looking to Jesus, right? Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do not grow weary. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See to the, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
So the author is calling us that the, as, that the center of Christianity is hear the message, be energized, be charged by the reality of the Savior who came, who bled, who died, who rose again. So doubt, what's, what's amazing is talking and thinking about doubt is it's very liberating because if Jesus is true, then we have no question that we are afraid to ask, you know? So the question for us today as we're wrapping up, what are we doing with our doubts? The question is not, do you have your doubts? Do you have your struggles? No, no, no. We all have doubts and struggles. You're either sweeping them under the rug or you're dealing with them. You're praying to God and saying, Lord, I have a hard time believing you. I have a hard time trusting in you. Is this book real? So what are we doing with our doubts? Do we have a faith of asking questions, growing, understanding, reading, studying the Bible, or are you just kind of going with the flow? Or do you let your doubts and struggles kind of pool like a, like a, like a swamp of doubt that, that, that eventually takes over your heart and changes your desire, and then you don't want him to be real in the first place, and you don't care about evidence? Do we realize that the Christian faith is about a savior, king, savior king, who isn't only real, he's real, He'll do the homework. You, Jesus is real, but he's not just real. He loves us, and he cares for us. He is a king who rules the whole universe, but he loves every single one of us. He cares about us more than anybody in this world is ever going to care about you, more than your mom cares about you. Do we realize that Jesus, the king of the universe, loves us? He loved us so much that he bled for us, every single one of us. Where's our trust today? What, what, what is, um, where's your confidence? What gives you that feeling of satisfaction? Like, life is good. Is it Netflix that you're going to watch today? Is it the friends you're going to hang out with? Is it your bank account? Is it your future job? Is it your career, your marriage, future plans? What makes you feel that feeling inside your stomach that like, ah, life is good? All those things can fade. If you're putting your trust in something that's going to turn into sand, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to, you're going to be sitting next to Jim. Jesus doesn't just want you to know about him and believe in him. He wants your trust. He, he desires your heart. He wants you to taste the, the amazing joy and richness of when, when your life is anchored to him, when your whole philosophy of life, your goals, your desires, your aspirations are all in line with the fact that Jesus is king. His kingdom is being built today. He works in my heart, and I'm here in this world to do my best to be a human being, imaging him and telling his story everywhere I go. If that's the foundation of your life, real joy will start to creep up, real joy that nothing can take away. So that's our, that's our, that's our um, admonition today, I hope, to hear this Savior, take him, Take that leap of faith every day, knowing it is a leap of faith. Jesus, come through. Jesus, lead me. Jesus, answer my prayers. Jesus, speak to me through your word. Jesus, speak to me through your people today. Expect him. He will. He's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our tests. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a real king. We thank you that you are a king who is not afraid of our questions, Lord. Oftentimes we may think that our, our questions and our doubts are the things that we should be most afraid of, Lord. 
we, we may wonder, does our faith have any substance to it? Is it a real thing? Are you even real? Lord, help us to not be afraid and to come with these questions into the open, Lord. Help us to open your word every day, admitting that we have doubts, and help us to ask the hard questions. Help us to be more diligent. Lord, help us to not go away from here with sleepy hearts, going with the flow, going with the flow of our culture, going with the flow of our emotions, going with the flow of traditions that we're raised in, Lord. Help us to be active. Help us to be awake. Help us to be pushing upstream against the culture, against our emotions, against our sinful desires, Lord. Help us to to have a deeper thirst to see the King, to see this Jesus, to see what he has really done for us, Lord. Help us to, every single one of us today, Lord, I pray that you would be working your, your, this truth personally, that you are not a Savior who is up there in heaven. You are a Savior who reigns but loves deeply. Help us to feel the weight of your love, Lord, to know that there's nothing in the world that can fill that, that hunger for your love and that your love is abundantly, freely given today, Lord. Help us to, to, to just drink of that love, of the gospel, of your grace, of your forgiveness that you offer us. Change us and grow in us this deep faith, a joy, a wonder of you. Thanks again for listening to the Well Said Podcast. For more information, check out our website, well-said.org. That's kind of the online home of the podcast and also the blog where I occasionally put out some articles and stuff like that. You can also check out the support tab uh, if you want to help this thing stay afloat. You can chip in a couple of bucks a month and uh, help us cover some of the bills on this thing. And for more information on True North, check out at True North Bellingham, both on Facebook or on Instagram. We do have a conference coming up for young adults here in September, August time. So stay tuned for information on that. That'll be a fun time. Thank you guys again for listening and we'll talk to you again soon.